Jesus, thanks for loving us. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to be our mediator, to be our savior. Father, your love for us is greater than anything in this entire world, anything, any, any amount that we understand in. There's vast eternities of your love that we don't even understand. And Father, I pray that you would open the eyes of our heart and teach us how much you love us. I pray, Lord, that that would be translated into love in our lives, that we would love each other, that we would pour out our lives for each other, that we would not live this life selfishly or for our own kingdoms, but we would pour out our lives for your kingdom. Thank you, God, for this, my family, my dearest friends here, and I pray that you would speak to us, Jesus. We ask that in all humility, Lord. We cannot, it doesn't matter what I say, Lord. We need your Holy Spirit to speak to us. So Jesus, we give you the time right now to search us by your Holy Spirit. We are willing to confess our our faults and our sins to you. We're willing, Lord, to open up the deep places of our heart. To say that we are wrong And you are right. And have mercy on us, Father. Because, Lord, we trust you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, church is all about people. Our buildings don't matter. Our music doesn't matter. Our plans and strategies do not matter. Only that we are a people that love other people every day to the glory of God. That's what matters. People, turn around and look at someone. Make them feel weird by how you look at them. Just a weird look. Who, who can give me the weirdest look? Nathan, you win. That was weird. The little smoochy kiss was over the top. Come on, bro. Need a hug? <laughs> yes, give me a hug. Oh, this is what church is all about. Hugs and love, right? Okay. Well, last time we were together, I know you had a couple guest teachers. How was Matt Corneonis? Amazing. How was John? These guys are good, good guys. I'm so glad they took care of you guys. And, uh, but the last time we were together, we, were, we looked specifically at verse 1 here, which says, Therefore, my beloved... And long for, brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. And we focused in on that word, stand fast. And does anyone happen to remember what that word is in Greek? Stako. Boom. Ah, I'm so pumped that you guys knew that. Because that is what I taught you. (laughs) It means stako. And we learned it means kind of stay close to Jesus and the love that he's given you. Paul taught us... Three, he taught us how to apply this doctrine of staying close to him. And he, and he taught us by love. He called him beloved. And then he says, stay close to Jesus. And then he ends with more love. He calls him beloved again. And what we see there is that knowing the love of Jesus is how we stay close to him. It's how we stand fast in the Lord. To stand fast. It takes investment. And we talked about seven different ways we could invest in knowing the Lord deeper. It takes striving. It's a, it's a real relationship. It's, it's like a marriage. In fact, marriage is just a picture of that relationship. 
Can I pick on you guys for a minute? You guys are brand new married, aren't you? And they're just, they're so in love. Everyone look at how in love they are. Aww. It's a joy to spend time together, right? What, is he, what do you do when he walks in the door? Big hug and you missed him so much. Because all you want to do is be with him, right? Oh, it's so fun and exciting and full of joy. And it takes, it, it, it's a real thing. Having a relationship with someone is not something you manufacture. It just grows like a, like a plant over time. You know, first you meet on Tinder and then you... <laughs> what? I'm just, I'm just saying. I don't, there's nothing good or bad about that. But you meet and then you start hanging out and seeing each other and... And then you're like, man, this could, I really am enjoying the time I'm spending investing in this relationship. And then it, it progresses to, I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to commit. Well, it's the same way with God. You know, we, we, we get introduced to him. God, he wants to know me. Well, I'm going to go to church and learn more about this. So we start learning about the Lord and it, it, we start enjoying he, hearing the type of things that God says about us. Because he's not saying things like, You're a burden to me. No, he says things like, if you're heavy laden, come to me. I will give you rest. And I like hearing these things. I like the things that I hear Jesus say to me. So I start having an interest in developing this relationship. And then it gets to the point where I want to make that commitment. And I say, I want to follow you. I want to be with you. And so we get baptized. We say, I belong to the Lord. I'm on that team. I choose him for the rest of my life. And and we go and we progress from there. It's like marriage. It's pretty neat. So standing fast and staying connected with the Lord, though it doesn't depend on your performance, it depends on his love and on his performance. We simply trust Jesus over and over and over and over again. We learn our place is to trust our bridegroom to trust our Father. And when you think you've learned it, some great trial comes into your life where you realize, man, I should have just trusted you, Lord. Right? And, oh, and we, we think that's a failure, but the Lord's like, no, I'm just taking you deeper into a deeper relationship with me. We grow in what's called faith. You don't grow in being a better Christian. You don't grow in being able to perform better. You grow in faith. We learn how to listen and believe his word, how to love, and then we learn how to do all that again, over, in in different ways. And we never grow out of this humble, dependent lifestyle. This is how we stay strong in the Lord. And that's kind of summarizing what we learned last time we were together, how to stand fast. And now, what we're going to see is that Paul is going to give us a supremely relevant example of how this works. How God calls us to grow in faith or in trust or in his love. We're going to see how God takes us to deeper levels of trusting him. So let's go ahead and read, starting in verse 2, although it connects very closely with verse 1. But he says here, I implore Yoda and I implore Syndiki to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now these are two women and I have no idea how to pronounce their names. When I listened to the Greek translation of Blue Letter Bible, I, it sounded like Klingon mixed with Jedi. You could only learn as a Padawan at Gryffindor. 
Well done. Thank you. I appreciate the encouragement on that one. <laughs> I was going to throw something about Mordor in, but I couldn't figure out how to. Anyway. Love Star Trek. There we go. I'll, you'll never let that go, and I can't, I can't let it go myself. Anyway, that's a long story. I have totally gotten off track. I don't know how to pronounce these ladies' names, okay? So I'm just going to call them the girls. Is that good with you guys? So Paul says, I implore these girls to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, what have we been teaching? Like, Philippians is how to think. And so Paul is like, man, I really want these girls to think the right way. So verse 3, he says, and I urge you also... True companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel and Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. That is our text for today. As we look at that, we're going to see some really neat lessons on how to think like a true companion. The church here in Philippi was started by a prayer meeting led by women. And now, many years later, as Paul is writing to this church that's been established, it seems that the women of this church are still passionately involved in the church. They've poured out their lives for the church. They've been working for God and sharing the good news of God's salvation with their friends and family, the people of the city and the, the people at the market. And they've, they've been working for the Lord. But now it seems that, that there's been this pastor raised up by God to oversee the church. And Paul is teaching this new pastor how to deal with conflict in the church. <clears throat> Isn't it strange that church seems to always have conflict? It's, it seems like there's always a problem at church. Sometimes people are selfish. Sometimes people are hurting. There's some broken people. There's some sick people. There's some unloving people. There's people that are not interested in you. There's some impatient people, some short-tempered people, some people that are stressed out, some people that are weird, some people that are boring, some people that are different, some people that are handicapped, mentally handicapped, physically handicapped, some people that are just argumentative. It's funny, some people like to argue, so they like coming to church to find people to argue with. You ever met someone like that? I am someone like that. <laughs> that is my personality, was I, I do like to, to get into it sometimes. Others hate to argue, so they come to church hoping to find people like-minded so they won't have to argue, but then they get ambushed by all us arguers. So they don't come back. Others feel very passionately about an issue and they want to make sure that everyone else knows how they feel and, and that they agree with them. And if they don't, they're going to make sure a few people hear about it. And then there's the weak people who just need extra attention and support. And then there's the broken people who need patience. And then there's the bitter people who need to forgive. And then there's the sick people who need to be healed. Then there's the wrong people who need correction, and then there's the uninformed people who need instruction. It seems like there's not a week that goes by where there's not some sort of conflict on one of these 
levels or issues here at our church, White Flag, or at any of the other churches you may go to around this whole world. All kinds of issues. So how are we supposed to think about these difficult people and issues at church? How are we supposed to respond to conflict at church? Well, we need to think as a true companion. When I was typing this, I misspelled it, and I said true champion. I don't know. I just thought I would throw that out there. Let's read our text one more time. I implore you, Oda, and I implore the girls to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also in the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So Paul states the issue. These two women are arguing. And then he states the goal for them to think the same way. Then Paul shifts the conversation to another character, this true companion. Like I said earlier, this is probably specifically the pastor of this church of Philippi, but Paul does not use his name. Why? I believe it's because Paul is inviting every one of us to be a true companion. That's why he doesn't specifically use this guy's name. It's your choice whether you want to be a part of the solution or not. A part of the healing or not. A part of the living church or not. Paul gives us a huge lesson right here for how to deal with difficult people, difficult believers. He says, be a true companion and help them. Help them. The word companion means a a yoke fellow or a partner, or, or he could even go as far as a spouse. Someone that you are deeply connected with is the meaning of the word. And he says, help them. Help them. Some people think the best way to deal with difficult people in the church is to silence them. And you you get this idea, oh, they're just being selfish. They're just being a problem. They're just a pain. They're so difficult. It's so much easier to just kick them out. Right? Shut up or get out. I've seen it in churches I've been a part of. I felt it. I felt that that desire, that Life would be so much easier if you weren't here right now. I don't want you here. And I've done it. I've been, I've disengaged. I've said, I'm not going to be a part of your life anymore. And that's not, so I'm going to pause right here and talk about an issue real quick. This isn't to say that people should never be kicked out of church. Okay, there's, but there's very important times when that is the correct way to handle uh, someone. And the roadmap for that is clearly laid out for us in Matthew chapter 18. And this is that roadmap, just to inform you guys. You go to a person privately, and you tell him how he's sinned against you, to be reconciled if he's willing. And if the offending person repents, no more action is required. Step two, if he won't listen... You go back with two or three witnesses and have the conversation again. 
establishing the facts and all the evidence. Okay? Step three. If he still refuses to listen and repent of the sinfulness, you bring him before the full church body and make the case against him. It's kind of embarrassing, but that's the third step, right? And then step number four. If there's still no repentance, the church is to excommunicate the sinner, and Jesus' words are, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector, which means be mean to him, right? No? No. How did Jesus tell us to treat tax collectors and sinners? With love. Share the gospel with them. Always be inviting them to come and know and receive the love of God. So it doesn't, this doesn't mean cut them off and be mean to them. It means start back at the beginning so that maybe they can receive the gospel in a brand new, fresh way. Okay? The, so, and then there's some important lessons to think about when thinking about excommunication. And that we've never specifically talked about it here at church, so I wanted to just spend a couple minutes to go through it with you guys. The Bible never in- instructs individual Christians to decide on their own, or even in a small group, to excommunicate another believer. It's, uh, it's a formal action taken by a church as a whole. Okay, Number two, it's primarily about relationship. Those who are in the church are specifically instructed to stop sharing meals with the unrepentant person and to limit their contact with him. So it's not about being mean, like I said before. It's about we're not, we're not okay. We're not, I can't come to you and have fellowship, that sweet fellowship of believers, because we're not in agreement. Number three, the process of excommunication is for believers, for those who declare themselves to have sincerely trusted in Christ for their salvation. You can't excommunicate an unbeliever. They're not part of the church anyway. What are you kicking them out of? It's for someone who says, yes, I'm a Christian, and no, I will not turn away from my sin. That's what it's there for. Okay? Number four, the process is not meant for someone who admits his sin and is repentant, but continues to struggle to break free of it. If a believer sins and when confronted says, yes, I was wrong and I'm sorry and I want to start again, he is to be forgiven every time. How many times? Every time. Even if he sins in the same way, repeatedly. Scripture doesn't suggest that a person's sin should be exposed to the full church as a kind of penalty unless he chooses to reveal it himself. How about that? So these are all really good things to think about. One last one. The goal of excommunication is restoration. According to Jesus, the whole process of removing a member from the church is to be gradual, deliberate, cautious. If at any point the person repents then it says you have gained a brother. And fellowship is restored. So I want to look back now at our text. Okay, He says, I implore you, Oda, and these girls, to be of the same mind in the Lord, and I urge you also, true companion, to help these women who labored with me in the gospel, and Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Why does God allow difficult people in situations into our lives? Why Are they here at church? God's purpose for each and every one of these difficult people and situations is to help us to grow, to learn, 
to experience more of His power in our lives. If there were no difficult people here, we would not so vividly see our need to grow in patience and love, right? Get this. If we look at these difficult people in relation to us, we may have a reason to complain about them, even to distance ourselves from them. But if we look at them from the perspective of heaven, we can see that God has brought them into our lives. He has permitted them to be a pain to us. It's his work and it's good. They are God's instruments of pruning my life. Imagine a plant that has has to go through the experience of pruning. You know, you're just sitting there being a plant and all of a sudden the farmer brings out these giant scissors that he's going to cut off parts of your body. It's not fun. It's not easy. It's but it's necessary for more fruit. But I'm fine with the amount of fruit being produced in my life. But God's not done with you. God, my Father, He knows that you can do more. You can be more. Why? Because He is in you. You are able to be all that He wants you to be. But it would take some pruning. It's got to cut away some of those fleshly desires and thoughts. So these people that seem to be a pain in our life, and, you know, I, I bet these girls in, in this pastor's so he was just like, why do you guys keep fighting? I don't understand why you're so, such a mess. They are a pain. But they're exactly what I need. And you need to grow in faith. To surrender our lives to the control of the Holy Spirit more on a daily basis. David had this relationship with Saul that was just unbelievable. We read about it, and we read that Saul, as soon as David started to kind of grow in popularity, Saul just hated him, right? And he was always trying to kill him. He took his wife and gave him to someone else. I mean, he was just a pain to David. But David, he never complained about Saul. As you read through scripture, David prayed for Saul. David honored Saul. David knew and believed that God had brought Saul into his life. And even when Saul was trying to murder David and stealing his wife, spreading lies about him, all things that are, that are not fair and that are painful, David was learning to trust the Lord and honestly to be a true companion of Saul. To the point where when, when David cut the, the little part of Saul's robe off when he was in the cave and, and, and then he presented himself to, and he said, I have been, I love you. Why are you coming after me? And Saul said, you, I, you've been a great friend to me. Paraphrase. But you've been a better man than I and I see that you've been like a brother to me. David was learning to trust the Lord and through all that mess, all those years where David thought, I'm probably going to get killed by Saul today, God made sure that David didn't turn into Saul. Because what, what, what good would it be 
If when David finally was made king by God, if David's heart was just like the king that God just threw out, that wouldn't do God any good. So God needed a man that was broken of his own will and that truly wanted to please God and honor God. And so God had to take David through these difficult situations. Many of the problems that could have been in David's life were eliminated by this work of the Spirit in his heart through these dark times, through these difficult times. So let's rewind all that back to us. We cannot write off people because of their issues. We don't have the right because God brought them to you. God placed them in your life. You. And you have decisions to make. You're either going to engage with this person and help them or you're going to disengage and you're going to miss out on all that God wanted to do in you. Does that mean God's going to fix the weird person, make them not weird anymore? Fix the boring person, make them exciting? Maybe not. But that's not the point. Because God's in this for you. I'm not talking about things that ruin fellowship, like the things that would go towards excommunication. I'm talking about our attitude toward the, the least of these here at our church. We can't only hang out with those people who you really easily get along with. It's immature. It's worldly. Mary Elizabeth Baxter said it like this. Let no Yodas or Syndicate be crossed off the books because of present inconsistency, but let them be written upon the hearts of all their fellow laborers, that they may be won back in answer to prayer. I want you to hi like, highlight that in your mind, in answer to prayer. We're going to come back to it. And become the more useful because of a failure which God has taught them to recognize and which he has conquered. See, we are called to be this true companion. Paul is inviting you to be part of this work in other people's lives, to be God's people with God's heart. So who do you need to pray for today? Who has the Holy Spirit been bringing up in your mind? Who have you written off? Who have you said, I will not get involved with them? I will not connect with them. I will not help them. I will not invest in them. I will not be patient with them. I've already tried. I've already given enough. They are impossible. They are too much. I am not their true companion. I am not my brother's keeper. Who said that? Cain did, right? Well, he was a great brother. 
right? He murdered his brother. I don't want to have the same heart. I don't want to be like that. Again, Baxter said that they may be won back in answer to prayer, that they might become more useful to God. Have you prayed? It's a great question. Have you asked God to change you? Not the difficult person. I mean, yeah, pray for them. Fine. God, please don't let them be weird anymore. That's not going to happen. God's like, I made them that way. They're fine. You're the problem. You're impatient. Yeah, they have some failures. So do you. Theirs are just weirder. Yours, you hide under layers of pride and cool clothes. Theirs, they just let all hang out. Have you prayed for God to change you? Now, I'm going to end with a, a little story. And, you know, as I'm, as I'm looking at Bible studies and I'm looking at, at presenting truths to you guys, I, I try to find examples from my own life. And generally, I want to find examples of, like, victory and, like, here's where I did great and look what I... And I just couldn't think of one for this one. But, man, I had a glaring failure that I just couldn't get out of my mind um, because it happened this week. It was like God said, I'm a... <laughs> so I failed this week in this, this whole thing. You know, my son John, he, he's got autism, and, and we went on vacation, and he doesn't thrive in that environment of like lots of people, lines, being tired. When he gets tired, he gets cranky. Anyone else? <laughs> All right. So we know what it's like, but he has no filter. No filter. That's what autism is. There's just a couple switches turned off, and one of them is that I'm going to be a nice switch. And so he's not nice. And, and, and his filter is gone. And I, I was with him for like a week, you know, two, two weeks with this just constantly. And it was just, whew, okay, all right, patience, all right. You know, uh, I'm going through this. I, I was personally learning these lessons of am I going to be there for him? Am I going to help him? Or am I going to do what I ended up doing? which is when we got home, I lost it. I lost my temper. I failed miserably. And, you know, he was tired. I was tired. But I was not his true companion. You know, he's having a rough time. But he's broken. He's weak. He's 13 and broken. And I was not what God wanted me to be on, the, on, on Wednesday, I think. And uh, that's my example that I had. It, it's, it's just something that I, need to, I needed to take to the Lord in prayer and say, God, I've failed completely right here. And I believe that prayer is, is how we confess our sins to the Lord and how we receive then the strength and the Spirit to change. And so I would like for some guys to come up and lay hands on me and pray for me today. And then if anyone else would like prayer because of your failures to love someone, then we'll have a little time of doing that too. But would, would some guys come up and just pray for me right now? Father, I thank you so much for um, your grace that you always forgive us. Lord, and as we... Um, 
as we open up just our hearts new to you, uh, I pray that you would work passionately and, and deeply in us, Lord. Don't let us go out from here the same, uh, but let us realize that we've been bought with a price, and the way that we behave with each other shows, Lord, what, what our state of faith is, whether we trust you, whether we know you, whether we love you. Lord, I pray that you'd work deep things in our hearts. Help us, Lord. And Lord, we fail so much, and I thank you that there's so much mercy in you, that you will always forgive us, that you have literally eliminated every barrier between yourself and us, that we never have to be worried about being cut out of your presence, that we can run back to our Father. And Lord, I pray that many of us would choose to run back to you today or to run more towards you today. So Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.